you know, it's a mechanism for empowering and amplifying youth voice via music, right? So you're, you're taking, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to go take guitar lessons. It's like, oh, I'm going to go be in a band. I'm going to get the instruction on that instrument that I'm interested in, but I'm also going to simultaneously get better at navigating group dynamics and communication and like all those things that happen in a band. Listen in to hear how one Boise State College professor decided 15 years ago that he was going to be part of the solution in helping improve the lives of youth through music and how that has morphed into a Boise staple. Well, here we are. You are my new co-host for today. Yes, Jennifer Pisano. Welcome. Thank you. You excited? Yes, I am excited. And who'd you bring with us? Who is this guy? I brought Ryan Peck with me today. I'm <laughs> very excited for this. Pisano means friend. Right? Yes, it so does. you brought your friend Ryan. I brought Peck. my friend Ryan <laughs> with me today. <laughs> you guys have known each other for a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a long time. Her father has deep deep roots in Boise and uh, used to have a store called Old Boise Guitar. And we would hang out there all the time and play all the guitars. Yeah. Yeah, that's how we know each other. Uh, TJ likes to open this podcast with this is how I know you. So uh, since I've known you forever, <laughs> I'll start with that. Um, I know you through my dad. I know you as initially just as a musician. Yeah. But now over all these years, I also know you as um, a huge part of the community and someone who invests a lot of time and energy into Boise and cares a lot about it. Also as... Um, a former uh, professor at Boise State University. I didn't know that. Yeah, biology, yeah. Yep. Wow. And Technically a lecturer. A lecturer. It wasn't like maintaining a lab or anything. Yeah. A lecturer at Boise State. Um, and what we'll probably talk about primarily here today, which is the founder and owner of the Boise Rock School. No owners. It's a nonprofit. Oh, yeah. yes. The we founder that. of yeah, founder, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. Boise Rock Co-founder. Jer- me and Jared. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Actually, co-founder. tell us about that. What's what's the difference in ownership and nonprofit world for those that don't know? Yeah. I mean, I think there's I, I'm not like a tax specialist, but the basics are, you know, when you when you start something, if you're operating in like the social good arena, you're able to potentially be a 501c3 nonprofit. And what that is, is the IRS says, oh, we recognize that kind of like what you're doing for society is actually really beneficial, um, whether it's education or, you know, blood donations, like whatever it is, or maybe a needle exchange. I mean, who knows? Uh, So they get to apply. It's a long application called a 1023 form. Uh, They sometimes deny it. And then sometimes they grant you that. And so what it means is that really everything that all the capital that kind of makes up what we are is really owned by everyone, like the, t- the state, you know, the, the taxpayers. Um, and so I'm obviously an employee of it and a founder of it, um, but there's no, uh, you know, like if we closed tomorrow and sold off all of our assets, that doesn't go back to me. That would actually either be given to another nonprofit or be given back to the state. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, I think it's a misnomer in the sense that um, it's not like you're, you're, you're still trying to make a profit. Totally. You're still trying to be sustainable. Yeah. Uh, and you're still trying to do things that generate program revenue. Yeah. Um, it's just that those additional profits wouldn't be distributed as 
um, you know, profits among shareholders right. or something like that. Yeah. They're reinvested into the organization and they further your mission. Yeah. So before we jump into how you got there, yeah. let's get on the way back train for a minute. Okay. Did you grow up here? You did, right? Not Boise. No. Okay. Um, so I was actually born in Twin Falls and shortly thereafter, well, we were actually living in Burley uh, and shortly thereafter, before I was even really remembering a whole bunch of stuff, uh, we moved to Denver and spent some time in Denver. And then um, when I was still in school, we moved back, we moved to Twin. Like, so it was like Burley, even though I was, we were in Burley, I was actually born in the Twin Falls Hospital because at the time Burley was like teeny. Uh, and then we moved to Twin Falls and then, um, yeah, and basically, you know, my formative years were in Twin. Gotcha. Uh, and then went to school and grad school and lived in the Bay Area for a while. And I'd say formally moved to Boise. It was like 2005-ish, something like that. And what brought you here? Um, a couple things. I think one was I really wanted to teach university level. So at in the Bay Area, I was teaching grade school level and it was really like tiring, like challenging. Um, the other thing is like, you're going to get like a, um, an ecology, biology analogy here. But when I looked at the Bay Area, I knew there was a lot of things I was interested in trying or like doing. And when I looked at the Bay Area, it was like all those um, niches were like filled. They were already like people doing things in them. Uh, you know, so take like Boise Rock School, Juno Arts as an example, like there was already like a bunch of those things happening. In fact, our good buddies run something called Rock Band Land down in San Francisco. And so I really saw it as like, one, I could teach university level. That's awesome. Uh, two, I can be back near, my brother was living here, Brady. And, uh, and three, I thought, well, I, only, I don't only want to teach. I'd also like to try to do some other stuff. So like the music from Stanley thing that we did for a long time. And um, yeah, so... But I should say during that time, I was continuing to be a river guide during the summers in Stanley. So I would regularly. Bring yes, I was back. always reminded every year I'd be reminded like, oh, my gosh. It wasn't that many years, but it was like I'd be reminded like, oh, my gosh, I really miss mm -hmm. the mountains. I miss rivers. Um, I don't miss huge hordes of people, which you would. There was just a ton of people in the Bay Area, you know. Yeah. Now we're experiencing maybe something a little similar, but it's not still the same level. So it, school is what teaching at the university level is like, that's the first thing you did when you landed in Boise? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Within, I think it was, that's kind of why it, it, it made everything like, oh, this will work. I can move there. I'll have a job. Yeah. Um, yeah for and real. how long did that, what, what segment of your life was that portion? You're not still teaching there, right? No, but that continued for last semester was the last semester I've, I taught. So, um, it's sort of like amped up to where it was like, I was like full time and like doing it all the time. And then it sort of ramped back down. Um, as you know, Juno arts, Boise rock school got busier. I was like, Oh, maybe I'll just go part time and teach a couple classes. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it was really last semester. I taught last semester. So oh, that wow. was last semester. Okay. And I may do it again, like adjunct a class or two yeah. there. I love biology, but I'm also now in, um, like a into what's called a PhD program in the School of Public Service. So I'm a, a doctoral candidate over there, which is wild, but hmm. yeah. There's a, the learning, the academic stuff's always been a part of my life, so right. lifelong I love, learner. I love that you have all of the things that you're doing we haven't even talked about yet with 
Juno Arts, and then just on the side, you're <laughs> in grad school working on that. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a common thread though, and I think it's there's an education thread, you know, and I think there's a a like a devotion to continuing to learn and continuing to challenge myself. And you know, you can say what you want about college, but like you know, the college experience, especially grad school you learn so much so fast you're just forced to and it changes your outlook it changes kind of like your perception of the world and that's awesome i always tell people I'm like if you're feeling bad about something like go learn something new because mm-hmm. it'll change your perspective you know i totally agree with that yeah <laughs> i wouldn't say it's like the side gig though i mean it does take up an enormous amount of time but <laughs> i just don't sleep i think she was saying that tongue-in-cheek <laughs> <laughs> yeah yes interesting <laughs> tell me what is Boise Rock School for anybody that has never heard of it before? Yeah, so it's so it's uh, a program of a larger, you know, like sort of kind of overarching trade name is Juno Arts. But our our most successful thing that we've done has been Boise Rock School, so everyone knows just knows that. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to actually currently make Juno Arts more of like the overarching trade name, and then Boise Rock School is a program of that as is Rock on Wheels, which is our outreach and so on and so forth. But um, I'm sorry, what was the question? The question <laughs> is for anybody that has no experience yeah. with Boise Rock School, what is it? It's a, it's, you know, it's a mechanism for empowering and amplifying youth voice via music, right? So you're, you're taking, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to go take guitar lessons. It's like, oh, I'm going to go be in a band. I'm going to get the instruction on that instrument that I'm interested in but I'm also gonna simultaneously get better at navigating group dynamics and communication and like all those things that happen in a band. Like bands are really hard, right? Like adults have a hard time being in bands cause they, it's like the Beatles were together for like what, I don't know, 10 years maybe, if that. Uh, and so having to navigate that, you learn all these other things besides music, right? So the core of it is, is doing band classes. Uh, it's a student driven curriculum. So we have like these, these like instruction booklets for each instrument, but they they kind of read like comic books. And so they're really uh, much less formal, but all the education parts are there. Mm-hmm. But we apply those in a way where it's like, well, let's figure out, a, you know, if it's like a brand new group of kids, it's like, let's, uh, you know, figure out a song that you guys all want to learn, which can be a challenge right there. Cause it's like, I want to do Adele. I want to do, I don't know what, Kiss. <laughs> who knows, right? And then, and then you use that song as like the way of pulling all the, instrument instruction forward and all of that and then there'll be performances so every 12 weeks we do uh, a big session gig and there's like 50 kid bands i shouldn't say kids because there's tons of teenagers over half of them are teenagers but they uh, go give a big gig where they play a couple tunes and is it like peer review is it just their peers showing up uh friends peers and, and friends and family okay. yeah it's like it's a mechanism of like you know in learning it's always good to have like a, a goal like a goal-oriented yeah. learning or project-based learning. So it's like the project is like, for most, it's going to be the gig. But then within Boise Rock School, then we also have other sort of project-based mechanisms where we'll say, well, you guys have done a ton of gigs and you guys have written like five really cool songs. So why don't we now take the next 12 weeks and record those songs? Mm -hmm. And so then you get into recording or you might've gotten into songwriting before. So it's like, okay, the goal for this 12 weeks is to write three to five originals. but then within the Juno Arts realm, we also do uh, just kind of all digital media arts, right? So like we have a photography class going on right now. 
filmmaking class going on and really just trying, trying to have tools that are going to empower kids to be able to express themselves in really creative ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I say empowering and then amplifying youth yeah. voice. Yeah. How did this get here? Where did it come from? When did it start? Give me all the background. <laughs> I think Jen's been witness to most of it. It's yeah. uh, Oh, wait. And before you answer yeah. that, have you heard any of the kids say, I want to learn a Tyler and the Train Robber song? I haven't. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's like we get we get like a certain type of student often that is like that not a lot of Americana, which I think is weird. I don't think Americana is the realm of adults per se, but I don't know that many like 14 year olds that are driving around listening to Wilco. <laughs> not that many. You know what I mean? Nope. And, and then I would, that's where I put Tyler on the train robbers. Like it's sort of an Americana genre. And it's just like, it's sort of weird, right? To think about like the bronze who I'm friends with those guys and, they grew up doing Americana and yeah. <laughs> became successful with Americana at young ages. And mm. you just have to have weird parents. That's how <laughs> it starts. Say, <laughs> yeah. Well, for the listening audience, the reason why I brought up Tyler and the Train Robbers is because Jennifer might know a thing or two about that band. <laughs> yeah. Yes, my husband and my dad and my brother-in-laws are all a part of that band. Yeah. It's like the Partridge Family. It kind of is. <laughs> it is. Without the bus. <laughs> okay, so yeah. tell yeah, us so, the Genesis story of yeah what you're up to. Yeah, so it's like kind of like so moved to Boise, right? Officially, and you know bought a house and um, really just started to think about my own life and like what like what do I want? What are other things I want to try and what do I want to do? So there was like a period where like prior to doing the rock school thing, we um, I was like writing for the Boise Weekly. Um, I started a thing called Music from Stanley where we would have bands come and play on the lawn at Redfish and we'd record them and edit them down with some interview. And they actually aired on the NPR affiliate here. Um, but it was like the 90.3 station. Uh, so I was like trying all these things. And then I was, I remember it's like, I don't know, probably like December, 2007, you know, so it's like 15 years ago, nearly I was on this run and I was thinking about, I was kind of thinking about what, what we said earlier, which is you know, be the person that you needed when you were a kid, right? And I was thinking about, you know, growing up in Twin Falls, which was, there was a lot of cool things about it, but there were a lot of things that weren't like accessible to me there. Um, And so I was like, man, I really am lucky I had skateboarding and I had BMX and I had, uh, that I found music, you know, started playing music. So I was like, well, how would you do that? And it seems like with the name Boise Rock School, I would have been thinking about like the Jack Black movie or whatever, but it wasn't that. I was more like, what could we do with music? Because I needed it when I was a kid to make it more uh, accessible and fun. And, uh, you know, and so just sort of started thinking about this. And my friend Jared, he was in grad school for education. And so we were both educators. And I was like, hey, man, what if we just started this? Maybe it'll be like a couple kids a week. Like, who knows? But it'd be so fun. And it was like that next summer, he was te- he was doing a student teaching at Kelch Elementary. And so they were like, oh, you can use Kelch for the summer, like for a couple of camps. And we just like, I don't know, whatever it was, MySpace or something, we've made a post. And I don't remember how we got the word out, but, and then we were just like gonna cap it at five students. Cause we were like, we didn't, we had written up some ideas about curriculum, but we're like, we don't know how this is gonna go. It's, this could totally 
blew up in our face. But it was uh, these five kids. I re- remember them. I they were awesome and um, still acquainted with some of them. They're now, you know, at college and whatnot. But uh, and we did like a couple tunes. It was like Neil Young, a Neil Young tune, uh, like an ACDC tune. And it was awesome. It was like, holy crap, this worked. Like, this is so cool. And so then we just started getting the word out, like, hey, we're going to do like a weekly thing. Uh, and we were using the old Foothill School. They were That was the thing about Boise then. It's like everyone was like in to helping everyone mm-hmm. do better, like do things. And so it was like really easy, like, oh, yeah, you can rent this back classroom. And it's actually, you guys can just use it. Like, don't worry about it. Just lock up at when you leave, you know. And we thought, okay, like, this is cool. Like, I was teaching and whatever. And I was like, this is a nice little part-time fun thing. We're making the world better. And, yeah, then it just, like, grew way more rapidly than we ever anticipated. And uh, it was, I think we played, like, the Special Olympics that year. And it was like, holy cow, cow, like, this is, like, there's a lot of, we have a lot of signups. And there were so many growing pains because at the time we were, like, you know, oh, like, just like trust you to pay you know we had like a tuition and we always had the the thing that was like if we wouldn't turn anyone away for inability to pay right so we just figured like as long as there's x amount of people able to pay then we can tell the others like they're able to come but then there came this point where like we did move and we signed a lease and it was in the where pay at brewing is now so that used to be like this big uh, gymnastics center but it had this like series of rooms around it that answer charter school had started at so Answer Charter School had been there. Answer Charter School had just moved. And so we were like, oh, maybe we can rent a couple of those classrooms. And so we did. And it was like super cheap. It was like 800 bucks a month or something. And it just kept growing. And then it was like these growing pains were more from like the business side where it was like, man, I remember like, I was like, wow, you know, we have like 100 students like how come I barely have enough to pay the rent, even though it's 800 bucks? <laughs> and it was my partner, Casey, was like, well, do you guys have QuickBooks? And I was like, no, what, why? She's like, well, you should be invoicing. And I was like, well, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> like, you know, and so there was like that growing pain. And then we've kind of formalized that stuff more and kind of really just, that was like the point where you, what I guess you'd call like a, you know, your hand, like your plan, like your business plan. That's kind of when we wrote it up. It was like, all right, here's all of the things that we need to make sure are getting taken care of beyond just the goal of like what we're trying to do and uh you know got it more formalized but that was there was some it's like what quick quicksand what are you talking about (laughs) it's sort of like quicksand when you get into it it's like man we're like quicksand all the time but yeah so then and then it kept growing and then it was like um it was probably like 100 students at the time and then i was like man i really want to get so this rocka building down on 14th in idaho and I had to remember, like, the recession was still, like, had, had its grips on the town. This is, like, 2011, something like that. When there was still a hole in the ground downtown. Hole in the ground downtown. <laughs> and it was, like, commercial property would pop up, and it would be, you know, bank-owned or something. And you could get stuff, like, fairly reasonable. And so we wanted to buy it, that Rocka building. And um, we just were slow on the draw, and then this investment uh, company bought it. But then we just like wrote him a letter and like, hey, can we lease this from you? And at the time, it was just like a big like garage kind of place. Uh, Idaho Floor Supply had been there and owned it for a while. But uh, and so we started renting it there. We kind of built it out, you know, did a big tenant improvement, and that's where we were up until like this week, right? So this week we're moving over to a building that we purchased 
at the end of 2020 mm -hmm. that we've been building out, which I took you guys through yesterday. Yeah. Um, but we were thinking about owning something as far back as, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Just because it was like, not, not for the, the asset on my books, but the asset for the organization. Right. How many um, people are participating in the program today? It hovers around. So, so today, like there's, like I said, there's a couple different components of it. Um, but under the whole Juno Arts umbrella, I'd say there's probably three, 300 to 350 that are doing like rock school. Yeah. And then there's another group of kids, depending on how many classes we have going, that are doing the, the graphic design and the, um, yeah, it's so like 400. It's actually more than that. So I'd say, because the other arm is like rock on wheels and that's the outreach. So like we go to St. Luke's Children's Hospital School every week. Um, we go to Icastola Preschool, which is a Spanish speaking preschool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'd say like 500-ish, it depends. Yeah. And then we'll do summer camps and we'll see like another unique three to 400 kids through summer camps, like kids we don't see during the school year. That's like a different crew. So right. um, since we were founded, I would say we've probably had, I don't know, 10,000-ish kids that we've interacted with. Pre-COVID, we were doing, we typically do way more outreach, um, and that will come back as COVID kind of lessens its grip. So usually we'd be doing like five, we'd be going to like the detention center, Ada County Juvenile Corrections. Uh, we were going out to a couple of Montessori schools. Twice a year, we go up to Stanley School. We'll go down to Twin Falls to their alternative high school. Um, yeah, so it becomes a lot of people that we interact with. What's most what are the like entry points? How do people get involved most frequently? They hear about you somewhere. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And I, then my friend goes here. Yeah. I think a lot of it, I mean, we used to worry a lot about like, how do you, not that we want to be McDonald's, right. But like McDonald's gets customers by starting with the happy meal. Now I don't think that they're, you know, you shouldn't be eating McDonald's or whatever, but but it's like, so we always used to wonder, like, how do we appeal to kids? Like, how do we appeal to youth? Because youth have, like, really good, um, like, BS detectors, mm -hmm. you know? And I think there are some programs where it's like, mm, kids are like, I don't want to do that. Like, so how do you create something where it's like kids really want to come and do it? Um, but we didn't really need to worry about it because it just sort of, like, happens. Yeah, like, people have a good experience. They tell their friends or you know, mother's talk or whatever. And yeah, so we don't do a ton of like marketing. What's your capacity? Are you at it or do you have? We were at the old building for yeah. sure. Um, we were stretched very thin. Um, the new building, it's, I'd say it's going to double it. I don't think it's going to, I don't think our numbers will double, but the new building is, I mean, it's like From 12. From a capacity standpoint. Capacity. We'll have, yeah. We had like six classrooms over here. We have 12 up there. Got it. And then, we have, then we'll have the additional studio space and the additional venue space, which could just be a large, large scale, like, uh, you know, 40 person classroom. If like Tyler and the train robbers want to give like a discussion on how to set up your gear and do a show and, you know, or whatever, you know. Um, I don't think we'll double per se, but the capacity will be you there. Have room for it. Um, and really where we see the new building is the ability to build, to build organic capacity within like more of like a polycentric capacity. And what I mean by that is like, we'll have the ability to find someone that's maybe in a position where we were 10 years ago 
and say, hey, like we have a classroom you can use. Like this is rad that you guys are doing this like theater thing or whatever. Like, you know, and so we've been talk trying to talk to more partners like Global Lounge. We've been chatting with them a lot about um, ways that we can partner and say, hey, we have the capacity classroom space wise. Do you guys need a space? And um, I think hopefully like I'd like to see a lot of that capacity get filled with that kind of stuff. Right. Um, polycentricity, quite a word I use there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as you would expect from an educator. Right? Yes. Yeah. But this, I'd say like truly, you know, in the story, it was this, this like slow, snowball of growth. And then it sort of, it sort of did kind of hit a, hit a sort of carrying capacity probably around like 2016, 17. And it's hovered around those numbers I was mentioning since then. Um, what's changed is our overarching kind of like organizational goals mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, we want to own, we want the organization to own its own space. Um, we want to start partnering more effectively with other collaborative partners. Uh, and that, that includes in Boise, but also regionally. And so finding people that are doing similar things and figuring out like, well, how can we, like rock band land, like we do a trade with them every year. Well, not since COVID, but like we'll go down there and some kids can play a gig at their venue and they'll come up here and they're going to be up here for tree fort and um, they'll play at our new building and, and like spy hop in Salt Lake and just trying to get more of like a coalition, kind of an advocacy coalition, but also a um, education coalition, you know? How do you know you're winning? Like what are things that, what are signals or experiences that you've had where you're like, that's why we're doing this? Yeah, I think our metrics are, I mean, obviously there's metrics that are like, okay, we're paying the bills like, or whatever. Um, and in the nonprofit world, there's other metrics that play like, oh, our fundraising is going really well this year. Or, hey, we've um, been able to increase our volunteer capacity or whatever. Um, those are, that's like one set of metrics. We'll call those like business support, metrics, yeah, fiscal metrics. Yeah. Um, but for us, the metrics are outcomes, like really like ours, are we empowering students and how do we know that? And so we do have formal ways of like looking at like social emotional learning and like looking at like, uh, yes, we're doing good. Like we can see definitive marks that tell us like there's kids progressing, not just like jamming out the song, but more like into the social emotional learning stuff like oh like this you know like this student used to really be argumentative with his classmates and and now he's like much much more able to like talk through stuff and not or super quiet and reserved and yeah starting to come out of their shell 100 yeah. percent, yeah so our metrics those metrics are, are really outcome based and we we know pretty quickly if something's not working you know is it easy to see those or is it like hard for you to collect that we do some surveying with we do some surveying. Most of it, I'd say, is like more intangible, but we very quickly are aware of it. Yeah. Um, you know, if there's a whatever class isn't working or like someone's really struggling, like it becomes evident pretty quickly. And our classes are so small, you know, they're four, four to six. Six would be like the absolute max per teacher that that teacher can be aware of stuff really fast. Right. Um, and sometimes that goes beyond like the scope of what we do. It's just more like, man, what is, what's going on with Sarah? Like she's, something's going on. And then, you know, sometimes there's a discussion with the parents like, Hey, we just noticed it's going on. We're not like a formal school where we're going to have like school counselors and stuff, but we can connect some dots and, and, and get better outcomes and stuff that we're not even, that really isn't even under our purview. 
But yeah, outcomes. Let me ask it this way. 15 years. Yeah. Is that right? Well, more like 13, but like yeah. that so first run since, since I thought of it. Yeah. yeah okay. just, I just feel really old all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> so 13 years kind of in the operation capacity, right? Yeah. Okay. In that lifespan of 13 years, are you winning really hard right now? Or are you not happy with your win rate? Does it need to get better? Are you in yeah. a really good spot right now? Or are there things that you're trying to accomplish that will get you to that space? I'd say, yeah, it's hard not to be incredibly grateful and to feel just like things have been really fortuitous for us. I mean, we like bought a building and have, yeah. I mean, we're like $1.4 million into a capital campaign project. Like right. that's, if you would have told me two years ago that that was going to happen, I would have been like, yeah, right. Like <laughs> it just seemed like that would never happen. That seems insurmountable. But so in that respect, like yeah, really tangible ways to see like your programs getting rewarded because there's people involved and people behind it that are making it happen. Yeah. But having the organization buy its own building is been game changing because yeah. then I know that I'm not going to be involved with it forever. Right. And so the building creates a permanence. It creates a generational thing. I mean, assuming, you know, climate change doesn't burn us all up or <laughs> World War Three or something. But, you know, so that's that's like the biggest reward, because I think when to be a little more philosophical about it in doing this, all I was worried about on that first run was like, how do we get better outcomes with our youth? Like, how do we do that? What can I do to make the youth in my community find something that they're passionate about? And I'm not saying it always has to be music or, you know, digital media arts. It might be skateboarding. It might be BMXing. It might be skiing. It might be something totally, I never even think, like it might be sewing, you know, who knows? But I, I, I have to know that, yeah, my time on the planet, I spent it like helping the world be a better place. And yeah, we've largely done it through music and some other stuff. Um, that's winning, mm -hmm. right? It's not translated into, you know, hundred million dollars or something, but so it's, it's less of an external motivation. It's more of an internal motivation. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's winning. And I think the big game for us will be like the next few years as we really define Juno arts and we really grow that uh, programming and we do it in a way where we're able to sort of tackle some of those, I mean, I make the climate change joke, but I would really like to see us be collaborating with experts in the community and doing like a podcast on climate change, right. things that, that teenagers are thinking about and giving them the tools to express creatively around that topic, right. whether and anything it could be. Yeah. Like the history of pride week. Let's do a, documentary film on that or hey the uh you know lgbtqia scene in general in boise let's do a history of it or a road skate park let's do the history of skateboarding you know whatever teens are wanting to cover we would love to start theming things a little more right uh for to tackle some of the social and environmental problems that i think a lot of youth are thinking about if you had to segment your company the business the nonprofit, into multiple chapters sounds like you just completed your first chapter and you're moving on to the second chapter of your business. Would you agree? 
Kind of. I think the, yes, sort of. There was a couple, like the big level ups were like that first couple, because that first couple years it was just, you know. An idea. It was an idea and we were doing it. The first two years we just did summer camps. So I kind of messed up my timeline because I think that first two years we did like two two seasons of summer camps and then it was that next fall where it's like, let's keep this going. Yeah. Um, that was like chapter one. Okay. And that was like proof, proof like of proof of concept. Yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh, wow, this thing works. This little thing works at the time. It was just Boise Rock School stuff that we were doing. Um, I think the next level up, I say there's a lot of chapters because they're all these yeah, like tell them to me. I'm they're like little wins where it was, so it was Jared and I that started it, um, and then it was like oh like when we hired our first teacher it was like holy mackerel like we that that was like a level up to me because it's like oh this isn't like this this idea anymore now we're em- employing people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the move to the old payette building was a level up because it was like this is our space we can like do whatever we can paint it or like whatever. And then moving to the Rocka building was a huge level up because we felt like we were kind of like part of this larger, you know, we saw things go up around us, whether it was Chicateo or, you know, whatever. And um, Record Exchange was right down the street. The chapter now, though, would be like almost a different section. It's like we've had a couple chapters of like this sort of introductory set of chapters. And now we're kind of into this new section, which is thinking about long scale temporally time uh challenges and like where how we want to land that and recognizing that the founders uh at least speaking for myself you know likely won't be involved forever so how do you and i think that's maybe a little bit different from like a a for-profit because often they'll be like well i'm just going to sell it when i get done or my son will take over but planning for that like succession succession in a way that is going to allow the the organization, which I do view as like a living organism, like it's yep. this living organization that will allow it to continue to flourish and do better mm-hmm. and continue to employ people and continue to make a difference in youth's lives. Those are big questions to tackle. Yeah. Questions that people who are old start asking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm like, oh man, what is this all about? What, what does my life mean? No, it's it's more like, and I I see my life as as chapters. Whereas yeah. like I did want to teach at the younger age group for a while. I knew I wanted to try it, and I I did want to teach college level. And like, and now being a, being a doctoral candidate in the school of public service, like I do know I want to work on like sustainability policy. Like, and I I probably got that from like my mom, but it's like, you know, she's got like I don't know three masters and like a PhD. And her, you can look at her life and it was like different things. You know, she was a Catholic school principal. She was a college professor. She was, did all these things. And it's like, I don't know, you know, but then I think the entrepreneurial thing that lives in my head kind of came from my dad because he was, you know, an entrepreneurial guy, but. Explain that. He just had a, uh, so when we moved back to uh, Twin from Colorado, when I was a kid, he started a, at the time there wasn't really like, big like UPS or FedEx and especially like regionally there really wasn't efficient ways of like transporting stuff and so he started like I started as like Magic Valley delivery service or something like that and then with just like a van or something and then it grew into a larger thing it was like Action Express or something like that where it was like regional it's like Salt Lake and Seattle and um yeah and then I have three brothers and and uh 
we've all at one point in our life done something entrepreneurial. I mean, one yeah. brother has like a big landscape company. The other one has a big like um, fencing, uh, you know, Brady. Yeah. yeah. And my other brother's an electrician, but for a while he had his own electrical company, electric company. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. I, I, it, I don't think it's, I think you're, the chapter thing, I think it's great to say, oh, I'm like 18. I'm going to go to college and major in this, and then I'm going to be this. I just don't think that's how it works for some people. And right. for me, it's never worked that way. I mean, I'm so lucky that I never like managed to put myself massively in debt or something where I would be tied to that. But right. um, I like yeah. how you mentioned that some of your wins are you leveling up. So you've covered a number of those. Tell me a time or two where um, you've struggled or like one of your, you know, major fail points in the process. Have you had any of those? Yeah, I tend to be, I'm not always glass half full. I mean, I tend to like be pretty critical and I can be pretty self-critical. I would say most of those losses felt big at the time, but they really weren't any big deal. Um, but I, I would say like the one of the wildest things that ever happened was two years ago because it was like we are an organization that has to have people in a room for the magic to happen. And so we, you know, it was like March 13th. We were getting ready to do a session gig at Jump. And it was like, wait, you know, like, we got to cancel this. Like, something's going on. And and in that moment, I thought, you know, everyone was like, oh, this will be like, you know, a month. <laughs> and I was like, you know, from my biology background, and I've, and I've had, you know, I know a lot about immunology and epidemiology. I was like, uh, yeah, this isn't going to turn around real fast. Like, <laughs> this is going to be a haul. And that was, um, oh, it felt like a loss, right? It felt like, oh my gosh, how are we going to navigate this? But I think just by our nature, we used it as like a driving force. And so that's when like we started looking at buildings. I like totally shouldered into fundraising. Uh, we put everything on Zoom, but then we were like loaning out all this gear to all the students. So everyone had stuff at home that they could use. We were loaning out iPads and you know, like whatever. And it was like, it really, even though it felt like a potential huge loss, it ended up like motivating us more than ever. And like really some of the greatest stuff that we've done happened in that sphere of time. Um, so yeah, I, I guess to answer your question, it's like, yes, there's been a ton of stuff where I was like, man, this feels like a big loss. Right. But in hindsight, looking at it, I'm like, that actually made us level up, right. you know? And it was like, uh, we learn from our mistakes or whatever, you know, is that that's a, like, that was out of your control. You had nothing to do with that. That was happening around now. What you did yeah. in that moment, you did have control over, but what about, is there anything previously that was like, that was a big mistake that I made. I shouldn't have done that. Or I wish yeah. I would have turned left instead of going right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think some of them live with us. I mean, like the Juno arts thing, right? So Juno Arts is, uh, it's much easier, say I'm trying to do fundraising with uh, Idaho STEM Action Center or like Idaho Power, not to call anyone out, but say I was like applying for a grant from Idaho STEM Action Center. It's much easier for them to wrap their head around Juno Arts because it's like, oh my gosh, you guys are doing graphic design and like all these things. The name Boise Rock School, it's just, it's got a lot of stuff packed into it where people immediately say it 
and they're going to conjure up an idea of what they th- what you think totally what they think you're doing. They're yeah. going to think of Jack Black or whatever. Yeah. And so I think that was like it's not, I don't view it as a loss because we are adapting and changing that, but it is we invested so much time into just that that brand name, that brand, yeah. that trade name uh, that it, then it becomes really hard to flip it. It's yeah. like Harry's in Hyde Park, right? It's actually called Hyde Park Pub. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And it's like people they don't really they don't they're not willing to invest the time to wrap their head around what is this new thing? Do you guys close? You guys closed. What's this new thing? You know what I mean? And so that's been a challenge and we're still in the midst of that. Um so I would say like just out of the yep. gate saying Boise Rock School, I was like, right. man, we should have just led with Juno Arts. Yep. Um, Having to do it all over again, that's what you would have done. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Um but I can look back on that. It was like at the time it was like there was like Guitar Hero and like rock band, like the video games yeah. and stuff. There was like this resurgence of like rock, you know. Um, so and, it was helpful, yeah. but also kind of set you up. Yeah, if I'm asking hard. like Idaho Power for a grant, they're like, yeah. yeah, you guys just do like ACDC with little kids. And it's like, <laughs> we don't, we do more than that. But it pigeonholes you, especially yeah. in fundraising. So um, and I think it pigeonholes you where there might be kids that want to do Americana, but they think, well, they only do rock, you know. Yeah, but in some ways, don't you think that the Boise Rock School title kind of appeals to kids more than <laughs> Juno Arts? Like, Juno Arts could almost sound... Yeah, we won't kill the program, Boise Rock School. Yeah, instead could, of Juno Arts could almost sound, like, intimidating if you're just a kid who's never played an instrument and wants to show up and learn something. Yeah. Rock School sounds a little more like anyone could be a part. I mean, especially if you're thinking about the Jack Black movie, which I don't remember when that came out, but I feel like... It was, a lot, it was like 20 years ago, I think, yeah. Oh my gosh. Now I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lesson in age today. No, I, so like our buddies in San Francisco, like they're, they're called rock band land. And even that little t- tweak of it is like much more appealing to me. Cause it's like, well, it's playful. It already, it's already like representing your personality. I mean, Brian and the guys that run it are so rad. And it's like, oh, rock band land. Like that sounds super fun. Yeah. Uh, but you know, whatever. There's a ton of stuff that I could be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we did this or. You know, when you apply, you spend a week writing some huge grant, you don't get it. It feels, doesn't feel good, but mm-hmm. uh, it get, it makes you a better grant writer, you right. know, in the long run, figure out what you did wrong. Yeah. Uh, the the time I, I uh, wrecked the van, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, but you're, you're limited by your capacity. And so I, I think like the, retrospectively you look at stuff and you're like, yeah, that would have been great, but we were, it's like sort of like, it's like this concept of bounded rationality. And what I mean by that, the guy that came up with it actually won a Nobel Prize for it, but everyone thinks that, you know, humans are like rational individuals that make the absolute best choices for themselves and their families and their businesses at all times. But there's no way you have all the data at that time you're making the decision. And so you're bounded by that. So if you look back on it and you're like, oh man, we should have done this. But with the information we were operating at you did at that the best time, we did the best we yeah. could. And so it's like, well, eh, whatever. We're, we're, we're really lucky that we're here. You know, right. it's like, it's crazy that we've been this sustainable organization. Like, it's actually wild to think that this place where people go, like, you know, play in bands or, like, make films about dogs from outer space, like, that just happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that we're, that we're around and we have, we employ a number of people and we just bought a building. Like, it's crazy. That you had something to do with that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> kind of cool. When you were in high school, did you know what you wanted to do? Uh, kind of. I've, I've always been drawn to education. I think more so I'm, dri- I, there is a, like an overarching thing I, I kind of like have always thought about, which is 
when you look at like people, like why do some do do more, do better, like you know, and why others just sort of like settle into a life and and that's always like kind of like intrigued me. Like I don't, and I kind of feel like the older I get, I'm like it's actually a, a lot of times it's people with like a lot of self doubt, but they're able to channel it into this thing where they're they're proving to themselves or they're proving to whoever that they can do it. Um, but I also knew I wanted to do stuff with biology, like environmental stuff. And uh, if you would have asked me when I was like a senior, what was it, what I was going to be? I don't know. I probably would have said teacher, but. Mm-hmm. You had a little bit of a leg up in that your mom and your dad inspired some of this stuff in you. Yeah. I wouldn't say it at the time. I think it's, I think it's kind of built in, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh yeah, for sure. Um, particularly watching my mom with four boys uh, do these level ups in her life where it was like, oh, I'm going to get my master's, you know. And we were like little kids and it was like, okay, like, <laughs> whatever. So we don't need a babysitter. Like, we're good. Uh, and then watch, and like, she, her first master's was like administration. It was just wild, like, she, that she pulled it off, you know, because she had four boys at home. And then she did a master's in theology at Loyola, right? And that's like, now she's just like learning things that she wants to know, right? Um, that definitely made an impression on me. It made an impression on me that you, you're not stuck in a lane. Like you can pivot. Well, yeah. I mean, I could hear just from the experience of your dad and mom that they birthed in you that you guys could really go do whatever you want to do and make it happen, <laughs> right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that was kind of the fabric that you grew up in. Well, I, not every, I mean, I'd gotten some trouble in high school for doing what I wanted to do, you know, <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, hundred percent. And there was never at my house, there was never like, you're going to play lacrosse or whatever. It's like, oh, you're interested. Like, let's make it happen. You know, like whatever, mm-hmm. like played on the Idaho youth tennis team for a while. Cause I wanted to play tennis and my, they would, they were very awesome in that they would, if there was something I showed an interest in, they would get my hands on it. And so then I was like, well, I want to learn the bass or I want to learn the guitar. And it's like, there, there I was, you know, doing guitar. And yeah. They tried piano lessons. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't the first way to do it, I guess. Here's a question I have for you. Somebody has never been to Boise before. Yeah. What do you tell them when they go, why Boise? Why are you there? <laughs> What's going on there? Well, I think it goes back... Well, I first say, like, don't go looking for a potato restaurant because we don't have one, which I think is a wild, like, thing that, that doesn't exist. <laughs> like, for real. It's like, it's, we're, like, everyone knows, like, Idaho potatoes. Everyone from outside the states, like, oh, potatoes, Idaho. Yeah. But that you can't literally go to a place that really, like, have, like, you know, potatoes with, like, stuff on it or whatever, you know. Sounds like a new business idea. Yeah. yeah. No, I had a friend come visit Last Tree for it, and he was like, I just got to say, it's really weird there's not a potato restaurant here. And I was like, <laughs> Do you want one? He's like, yeah, if I was in Boise, I would go there. Like, that's, I want to see it. You know? <laughs> right. Um, take them to Boise Frico, I guess. That's the yeah. closest. Yeah, yeah, like French fries, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, it's like, again, it's like intangible, but like Boise loves Boise. And when you're in the community, I mean, it's like with what we did, it was like um, people figured out that we were homegrown and like the community wanted us, you could just feel like the community wants us to succeed. And, you know, so long as we're not doing bad outcomes, like they, and like, you know, it's like 2013 or something. We got like a mayor's award where we're like, we're wearing suits and it was Dave Beter hands us over this award. Like that is like the currency of Boise. Like the currency of Boise is like, 
we believe in you. We're going to help you. Like when you, when you're down, like we'll pick you back up. And I've seen it with so many things, you know, and it's like, um, if you're doing something cool, like Boise's going to support you. And like Boise loves Boise. That's not like a, an isolationist, isolationist, isolationist comment. You're going to edit that. Uh, (laughs) no, um, but it is, it's like Boise's like in, into supporting each other. And it's like, there's been a huge growth here and there's been a huge amount of people that have moved here, but I still think that heartbeat remains, you know, it's like, yeah. whether it's petite four or like whatever, you know, or push and pour coffee. Like if you would have told me a few years ago, like, oh, there's going to be this new coffee shop that pops up and they're going to do really well. And in like two years, they're going to have like three locations. I've been like, ah, I don't see it, you know, yeah. cause there's so much coffee. Right. Uh, but Boise loves Boise. What do you hope for Boise over the next 10 years? I hope we don't lose that heartbeat. Yeah. You know, I hope there's still a record exchange. I hope there's still a prestige skate shop. Uh, I hope there's still push and pour and flying in. Like these things, there have been things that have gone to the wayside. Like I always bring up Poyo Ray, but Rickham Beanery, like these places that I loved when I first moved here. Um, I don't want to lose like that. And I want, I mean, I wish there was like a handbook or something you could do. Like if someone moved here, you'd be like, yo, like go to the record exchange and then go meet this person and like, because there is like, it's wild that Boise has like the record exchange. It's wild that that's here. Like most cities have lost their record store mm-hmm. and we have one that's flourishing, uh, that just changed hands, right? New owners from to long-term employees. They, Mike and Jill sold it. Yeah. So I don't, I wouldn't, if you'd lost it, you would know, we would know it. And it would just, that sparkle would be out and we'd yeah. just be like, uh, whatever, I guess I'll go to this chain to do that. And you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know. Do you ever imagine leaving Boise? Uh, not really. I mean, I thought about it. Um, so my partner's from Western New York, uh, and we've talked, you know, but it was just talk. I highly doubt it. I mean, I really love the mountains. I really love rivers. I really love, I love high desert. You know what I mean? Like uh, sagebrush and just temperature changes a lot throughout the day. Like, I just love that stuff. So if I did move, it would be like maybe like a semi-retirement, like moving to like a compound and like crouch or something, <laughs> you know, <laughs> raising goats and llamas or something. But uh, I doubt it. It's a great place. Yeah. Well, I'm inv- I'm invested here. Yeah. Like I'm invested in um, just as a community member, like I'm really invested in like seeing Boise do well. And I feel like you just do a lot to everything that you just talked about people doing for you. I think you do that personally for a lot of other people. Like I remember when the Petite Four crew was coming in, I ran into you at the Bound Crossing Farmer's Market that day and you introduced me to them and said, these are my friends and they're going to come here and open a cool restaurant. I'm showing them all of the cool things in Boise (laughs) while they're here. Yeah. Bluebird. They were. Yeah. 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 Bluebird Bluebird first. Yeah. Yeah, like, well, Sarah's a good friend, DK's a good friend, but it's like, um, that's sort of your job. Like, that's like, I don't know, like, if you look up Boise Citizen in the dictionary, it should say that, like, I'm going to elevate folks. I appreciate, I really appreciate the comment because I, I hope I do that, but that should be like just part of being a good citizen. Like, it's like, yo, like, we, we support new endeavors if they're cool. Like, we, you know, and it's, but it happened. Like, look at Tree Fort. You know what I mean? It's like, it's wild. Like Boise loves it, you know, and 
these are homegrown things that came out of like folks having a rad idea and then Boise being like, yeah, well, let me help you. Like, you know, Bluebird saying, hey, we'll make 200 sandwiches and you can give them to the artists in the green room or whatever. And like that's that's the like the heartbeat and the currency that I hopefully I add to the mix a little bit. But, you know, I don't know. Mm. You did mention a few places that I really miss <laughs> a little bit of a heartbreak thinking about some of those places that are gone. But yeah. Become Beanery. Yeah. yeah Beanery mm. is wild. It was so good. You go skiing at Bogus and then go eat there. And it's like, that's a perfect day. <laughs> uh, and Pollo Ray was just great. Cause I do lament. Like I love like the, there's a place Fiesta chicken, which is great, but that there was a downtown like burrito place. I like, I love burritos and it was like so great, you know? So great. That's a good, I think that would be rad to have. I mean, Chipotle is fine, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was like this homegrown place. And it's not the same. <laughs> it was literally the first, one of the first places I ever went to uh, when as a teenager, I came to Boise on my own. And I was like, whoa, there's this burrito place downtown. This place <laughs> is so cool. They have a salsa bar. Yeah. I think Boise will be good. Though. I mean, I think people are looking out for it. Um, we have good good leadership it seems like i don't know it's hard to say but what is your best piece of advice that you could give anybody navigating the world of let's say a nonprofit a nonprofit i think non-profit, I mean, that, I yeah mean, that's that's a yeah. big portion of your time invested yeah. is navigating yeah. that world right yeah um Nonprofits are tricky because I, I would say my perception, again, this is just my opinion. I think a lot of people often think, oh, I had this idea. Well, I'll just start a nonprofit and like everyone will like give me money and I'll be super, you know, sustainable, which often isn't the case. You have to really work hard to get donations and whatnot. Um, but advice, I would say, I kind of go back to what, that thing we were talking about earlier, uh, how I built this, where it's like uh, never like understand if you're starting something like the idea is one thing the work to pull it off is an entirely different beast and it could be the best idea in the world but you're still going to be thinking about it in the shower and thinking about it at 3 a.m and waking up earlier than you thought because you had this wild idea like oh we need to do this i'm going to you know email these people which is a balance because then you gotta like check yourself and be like yo i can't like let this consume me um so I'd say like be ready for that no matter what you start. Mm-hmm. If you're passionate, that's going to happen. That's just right. unavoidable. And so be aware of like burning yourself out, be aware of like self-care and just boundaries. But I'd also say like never give yourself too much credit. And and what I mean by that is it's like we're really lucky. Totally. You know what I mean? Like we we could have worked our butts off and still it didn't work out. A bunch of things that are completely out of your control that are the benefit of where you're at today. hundred percent. And that's, you know, like they talk about it, like it's, that's luck. Mm -hmm. And that is something you should never, you know, not be grateful for. In fact, I said this, I'm going to go back up. So Boise, what is Boise, right? Uh, Years ago, I was uh, talking to our past mayor, Dave Beter. And I said, uh, you know, if you're, if you're hardworking and you're like, or gracious, um, Boise will help you do well. Uh, and I still think that, you know what I mean? 
there was one other thing. I forget the third one, but it was really hard working and gracious. It's like if yeah. you're hard working and you're gracious, like Boise will help you do better. Right. Uh, and I still believe it. I think that's that currency I'm talking about, you know. Yeah. Is there a piece of content or material that has been really instrumental in you, um, in your understanding of the things that you do that you'd be willing to reference for anybody that wants to learn from the things that have shaped you? Like personally? Yeah. A podcast, a book. Yeah. Um, I think I'm like, the, yeah, the older I get, I'm more interested in the narrative around someone's life because they are different. Um, but there are common threads, you know? So yeah, like something like how I built this is awesome. Mm -hmm. But like, like that podcast I was talking about earlier, difficult artist is really cool because you know, that woman interviews musicians like Trent Reznor, but also like filmmakers like Edgar Wright. And you kind of like recognize like, wow, their stories, their story is really cool and unique, but there's also like common threads here. Um, which just globally is like, they were really hardworking. They were really gracious. Like they uh, were really driven. And sometimes that drive was coming from a place of like self-doubt. Mm -hmm. um, and they were also really lucky. You know what I mean? And I think I'm drawn to those things, whether, whether it's how I built this or difficult artist or, uh, you know, those sorts of things. I love right. those. They, you learn a lot. Um, but also, I, I don't know, obviously being in the PhD program, I'm reading a lot about policies and like human behavior. And uh, so that the stuff I would recommend there is probably pretty obscure. But there is a book called The Policy Paradox, which is really kind of weirdly through policy helps you understand just like how we as a society through norms and institutions like get to where we are. You yeah. know what I mean? but it's a dense book. I don't know if I <laughs> you know, re recommend it. Educators can get through it. But really, you know, that's fun. It's a funny <laughs> question actually. Cause it's like, where do I find motivation? Uh, and where do I learn stuff? And often it's just like slowing down enough. You know, it's like, like think of this, like, so, so we're all, none of us are like 20 years old. And we all remember a time when like you would listen to music and like you had to go, like, I had to like mow the lawn and then I rode my bike down and got the CD. And it was like, that meant something. I was invested in that thing. And I was, I was going to like it. Like I even if I had to listen to it 10 times before I actually liked it. I was going to like it. And there was like a number of bands that I grew to love that I didn't like at first, you know, Rush is a great example. I love Rush. So sorry. Unabashedly love Rush. But when I first was like trying to get into Rush, you know, I saved some money and bought a record and I was like, I don't know about this band, like his voice is really high. And you learn a lot by doing that, by living with something and, and, and like really living with it and really like examining it, which kind of like we don't do that as much anymore, right? You know what I mean? It's like, it's here today, gone today. And so it's like- Here today, gone today. You know what I mean? That's it's right. like, we don't, <laughs> we don't like, no, it's wild, especially music. Cause it's yeah. like, if you would have asked me like in the, in the nineties or early two thousands, like, yo, in the future, there's gonna be this way of having every album that's ever been made at your fingertips. What do you think that should cost? And I would have been like, I don't know, like 500 bucks a month. That's crazy. Mm. And now it's like, you know, now it's like 10 bucks a month. And, we, and right. it's like here today, gone today. So it's like, we don't, you know, you don't buy that weird Soundgarden record and be like, I don't really like it, you yeah. know. Now you're like, I don't, I, I streamed a little bit of it. I didn't really like it, so I don't listen to them, you know. Yeah, and then you forget about it forever after. 
you do but that's like the best that's where you really get to know yourself is through that the the deeper connection with art where even if it's a difficult book or a difficult movie uh challenging movie i shouldn't say difficult uh you know what i mean like so mm-hmm. i guess i'm drawn to that kind of stuff right where it's like i still do that i'll get like obsessed with the record and be like all right i'm gonna like listen to this a few more times before i give up on it or yeah whatever you said something to us yesterday that i was thinking about through this whole conversation which is building resiliency in yeah. kids yeah and i kind of feel like that's like what you just landed on which <laughs> is that these kids are coming to you and they're learning something that's kind of hard i mean i'm still trying to learn guitar right now growing yeah. up as a child of Me a guitar too. player yeah <laughs> you too <laughs> um and it's hard and uh that's just teaching them to stick with something a little bit longer and and see it through yeah and it's, it, you wonder about it like so like as a kid, especially teenagers, right? There's, they do put a lot of self-perceived barriers in front of themselves. They don't want to look silly or whatever. They want to embarrass themselves. Uh, but if you could, if they can be exposed to the right thing, hopefully that light's going to go off and that passion is going to pull them through that, you know, that and fail, yeah. fail, fail, yeah. fail, fail, succeed thing. And we were talking about skateboarding, right? But it's like, there is a great TED talk speaking of something that I find very inspiring by a guy named Rodney Mullen, who's a professional skateboarder for Pal Peralta. Uh, he's gone on to be a wonderful creative entrepreneur. Uh, and he talks about skating kind of in that sense where he's like, it's this, it's this culture that's accepting and, and people help each other get better. And, you know, you go to road skate park and there's an older kid telling a younger kid, like, you know, move your leg back here and this you'll, you'll do your Ollie better. But that kid's on his own journey, right? He has to figure out how to do an ollie on his own or her own. And that's that fail, 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 succeed experience. And that's like that's where resilience lives, right? If you didn't, if you didn't have to struggle, if we didn't have struggles like COVID, mm-hmm. and it was just all easy, we just snapped our fingers. It's like, oh, we got a building. Oh, we got 500 kids. You don't learn anything through that and you don't value it. And, you're, and you don't, you know, but having those experiences, that's our job is like, I see it as at our job of being like, hey, guitar is hard and it might not be your thing. Like maybe rock climbing is your thing. But you're going to find something. And if the spark goes off, you should go after it with everything you have because mm-hmm. that is where you're going to learn to be resilient. And like, what do people say now? Grit, you know, uh, you know what I mean? And those are those I have this like wild idea that the kids that do that the most as teenagers, those are the ones that become the future leaders and creative entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like skateboarding as the example, like we were mentioning push and pour, like those, those kids are skater kids. You know what I mean? Americana pizza, like those are skater kids. Two of the newer, newer entrepreneurial ventures in our town are like these 25 year old skaters that used to skate for prestige skate shop. And I have to believe like they learned like, yeah, I'm not getting it yet, but I'm going to keep working at this and get, make this happen. You know, cause I, I've learned the value of persistence and resilience. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. This has been fun. Yeah. I have two more questions okay, for you. Hit me. Rapid fire. <laughs> Are you happy? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, it's, yes, very much. Uh, and I think it's, we live in a world that is at war kind of with our attention, but it's also kind of at war with our sense of happiness. Uh, just turn on the news and you'll see like a million reasons not to be happy. Uh, but yeah. I'm very grateful for everything that's in my life right now. And, uh, yeah. Thank you. Super.
Second, if somebody was encouraged or inspired by your experience, what you stated, the collective, everything that has accompanied your life, (laughs) would you welcome them to connect with you if they wanted to learn more? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, my bandwidth isn't massive, but am I happy? I haven't been asked that question forever, but (laughs) I mean, I say general, I'm saying generally, yes. There's days where I'm like, oh my gosh, no, like this is the worst day ever. But uh, I think, you know, the older I get, the more cognizant I am of, of happiness, right? If somebody wanted to connect with you, yeah, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they just email, like just email info at boiserockschool.com. And that goes directly to you? I'll see it, yeah, 100%. Cool. Or they could do Ryan at Boise Rock School. They could do Ryan at junoarts.org. Any of them. They all go to the same spot, actually. It's <laughs> behind the scenes, it all lands in one inbox. Awesome. Uh, You've been an excellent co-host today. Thank you very much. If you say so. Thank myself. you. Jen, are you happy? I am happy. How often do we get asked that question? That's Never. wild. Never. Because you have to take, um, you know, the embodiment of it. It's like, do I have bad days? You know, I had to put my dog down a couple weeks ago. That was not Ugh. a happy time, right? No. Yeah. But generally, I feel... I think COVID did that for me. It was like COVID like really put everything on the wall. And I was like, in general, I'm a decent person. Like, (laughs) you know, I'm not like some black hearted, evil shyster, like running around or, you know what I mean? What what does that mean? Is that like a, maybe I have to edit that word. Swindler. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't actually know. Not a swindler. (laughs) Man, I, I think we're on the verge of a counseling session here. Yeah, I think so. No, when was the last time someone asked you if you were happy? Well, here's why I asked the yeah. question. Um, you're like, because you seem really unhappy, Ryan. Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> now it is a counseling session. Yeah. You know, I think uh, post-corporate world and doing everything I need to do to try to provide for the family, I wanted yeah. to know that I could invest in something that I could wake up and be excited to do tomorrow. Yeah. And so I like, you know, what somebody else stated in a previous podcast I think yesterday actually with Scott at Form and Function, he was really intrigued with like how the world works and how people make money and you know why this thing equates to that thing. And I think for me, I I have been attracted to um, do people feel content and satisfied, and are they pleased with their investment of their time and their energy? Uh, that I am attracted to, and so. Um, I guess it's just a litmus test for me to know whether or not I want to hang out with you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But the world, you know, social media is like a comparison game. It's like a, for many people, a happiness like sponge. It takes it away. And I I think we're all subject to that. I mean, there's plenty of things, my clients included, who, you know, some of them who move into Boise from other areas and then go on this, you know, exploring Boise adventure with their life that I, live vicariously through, but I'm also kind of jealous of (laughs) because my life doesn't accommodate for that. You know, so when I see them in the woods or experiencing hot springs and I know that my family's, you know, doesn't like participating in Boise that way, it is hard. Yeah. You know, but I don't, I, I try to move on to the things where I can be part of something like this to me is extremely rewarding. Yeah. You know, I get to invest my time this way. And I'm excited to wake up again and do it tomorrow. Yeah. The material things, I don't, I think I, I don't know when that flipped, but I don't think about that as much now. It's weird. Yeah. I think, yeah, whatever. I think when you get older though, like 
when I think back to how my head worked when I was like 22, like it's crazy. Mm -hmm. And just sort of part of getting older and now being in my 40s, it's like, I'm so grateful. My, not, not to like downplay anyone who's 22, but like my head doesn't, it's just a little, it just feels things, the swings aren't as wide. It's just like, totally. Oh, you know you've what I mean? Got, you've got perspective yeah. on it all. Yeah. It's wild. Mm. Let me think about that question all day now. Hey, do I seem happy? <laughs> we really appreciate you being here. Yeah. I great. knew it would be a good time. Thanks for helping arrange this, Jennifer. And Yeah. Yeah, um, thank you, Ryan. Thanks you're for awesome. being and, here. And, and thanks for being a part of our community. As yeah. stated before, your your energy and your um, investment in Boise and the footprint that you've made in our market is is felt. And we thank you for the work that you do. I'm so appreciative. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely... Yeah, cool. size 10. You know, it's not that big, my footprint. But. <laughs> cool. Yeah, good to see you guys. Thanks so much. Thank thanks, you. young Fabio. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us today and listening in. We're really glad that you did. We're always open to having more guests on the podcast. And so long as they live here in Boise and are actively involved in building business here, no matter where that business might be located, we're actually very interested in learning more from them and potentially sharing their story through this podcast. Feel free to send us a recommendation for a future guest or simply connect with us on Instagram at Boise Business Builders. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we would greatly appreciate a review. Thanks again.